This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1179, entitled A Wrinkle in Stalin. <laughs> Our podcast title is Hill Street Pods. Thanks to the room of viewers, and I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And I was almost going to say, uh, I've got to put my game face on now, but what the hell does it matter? <laughs> so I'm not... I'm not um, Live podcasting my face. Is it the right... Live streaming? Live streaming my face, yeah. Which is probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we do radio. We so do we can radio. roll in here looking like, you know, yeah. goodness knows what. Yeah. Oh, goodness has nothing to do with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, first off the rank, uh, Black Panther has overtaken Titanic at the US box office. What? Yeah. There's only two other films above it at the moment, Avatar and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Wow. Yeah, not, that, not that we keep track of the money. It's not going into my pockets. <laughs> I think that presents um, represents kind of a good turning of the tides, though, mm. in terms of... Oh, oh, oh too soon for <laughs> Titanic. Too I know, Forte. It's been <laughs> swept <laughs> out to sea. Um, because I think, you know, it, this good mid-momentum for Black Panther, people maybe were getting, we've talked about this before, fatigued by superhero films, certainly not us, but some audience members... And so I think it's good that people are still going along and seeing, I think, what represents some really great strides mm. um, in, you know, filmmaking in general. So happy for Black Panther. Of the first top ten in the US box office all time, uh, they're all, apart from, well, Titanic is a historical film. Yes. But it's all coming up from nothing. I think that you'd still see that as having some kind of base. They're all science fiction or fantasy. Oh, really? Every single one. We are the genre. Oh. <laughs> what, what are they out of interest? Um, so there's Avatar. Star Wars, uh, Force Awakens, Avatar, Black Panther, Titanic, Jurassic World. Jurassic uh, World. The Avengers, mm-hmm. um, The Last Jedi, The Dark Knight, Rogue One and Beauty and the Beast. Wow. That's I mean, the, there's a lot of entries in there that are just Star Wars, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And and, and I went further because I thought I've got to drill down and have mm. a lot. it's been a while since I've looked at this list. Of the top 100, it is actually easier for me to just list the ones that aren't oh, science wow. fiction or fantasy. So think about that. There's like Meet the Fockers, The Hangover, Home Alone, which is kind of zero-G anyway, uh, the Bond film Skyfall, Forrest Gump, American Sniper, Furious 7, which I think must be one of those Fast and Furious yes. movies. Furious uh, 7 was good. Titanic, which is historical, and mm-hmm. Passion of the Christ, which is fantasy. So, you know, most of the top 100 box offices are zero-G fodder. Interesting. Mm. That so. is very interesting. I mean, I think with the top 10 as well, there's probably no... I mean, how many original films are in there, I would think? Because some of them are either coming off a base of either a historical event, previous canon, or some kind of source material. Well, even Black Panther is kind of a sequel because it features a character who's been in a film before. Well, exactly. And, I mean, it, it's not strictly off a comic. Um, a- Avatar is, is completely original, apart so from be being very own. derivative. <laughs> that would be the only one. Um 
Yeah, in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Oh. Mm. Wow. I mean, we're nothing if not um, like to go see things that we're we, familiar we, we with, like I our, guess. our patterns. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought I'd mention that. You know, yeah, if the Titanic had been built from vibranium, it would still be afloat. Yeah. Would it, so, though? Would yeah, it? Yeah. Well, unless the iceberg was Godzilla, well, then immovable object, irresistible force. And I think also is it more about man's... Um, foibles than the actual ship itself. His his hubris. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, now, <laughs> with um, with that, I was just thinking that because Black Panther's still playing mm. in the cinemas here, so are we actually going to see that still playing in two weeks' time when Avengers: Infinity Wars comes out, or is that going to have to one's one's going to have to make way for the other because there won't be enough big screens? I would think they'd probably phase it out because by that yeah. point. It's ridden the wave and I think we're probably just coming into shore now. But still. Again, with the nautical metaphors, <laughs> Megan. I know, I don't know. I'm in a very beachy mood today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. All right. Um, and some, something um, completely sad, actually. Uh, Stephen uh, Boschko has uh, passed away. Mm. Now, this is the US-American screenwriter, TV showrunner, playwright and producer who gave us shows like Hill Street Blues. He was born in 1943 and passed away this year. Uh, He was a first-class creative, responsible for the police, procedural shows, groundbreaking equivalent to MASH, which is Hill Street Blues. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also worked on or created many major shows in that genre, uh, LA Law, NYPD Blue, Columbo he worked on, Paris, Macmillan and Wife, Del Vecchio. Uh, He was also known for his involvement with the Commander-in-Chief series and Doogie Howser. MD. Uh, and in a non, non-remarkable coincidence, um, last week on Zero G, I was playing a track from the 1970 environmental science fiction movie Silent Running, and Bochco wrote the script, along with Derek Washburn and uh, Michael Semino, that one, mm. that Michael, Heaven's Gate. And it was his uh, one and only film feature film story, and the experience reportedly <laughs> turned him off Hollywood movie making for life which is why I suppose he um, excelled in the genre of television. He had another curious genre connection with free science fiction television projects he worked on based upon the H.G. Wells trope of The Invisible Man, including a, an eponymous 1975 series, which then got downsized into Gemini Man in 1976, and they stitched a couple of episodes of that together to make a, uh, a telly movie called Riding With Death. And he also wrote the story for a 1980s Twilight Zone revival episode called Quarantine where a a weapon specialist is taken out of suspended animation to face an alien invasion. On the fantasy side, he co-wrote a 1979 telemovie called Vampire which revolved around two vampire hunters trying to dispatch a millionaire fang face. (laughs) Boshko was also one of the creators of the fantasy animated series Capital Critters, which was about the rats and mice and so on that lived in the walls of the White House. Not to be mistaken for any contemporary series about (laughs) the vermin now residing in the White House itself. Uh, And additionally, he wrote episodes for a short-lived 1979 fantasy comedy series named Turnabout, whose gimmick was a a magic statue that swapped a husband and wife's minds with each other, which is, uh, not surprisingly, that's derived from the same story by Thorne Smith that also inspired a 1940s movie of the same name. I thought it rang a bell when I heard about that. 
But look, it's Hill Street Blues that I, I most admired him for. Uh, it was a pinnacle of my early interest in police procedural series, uh, even without a science fiction or fantasy genre crossover element. It's a superb show with gritty stories, archly overlapping dialogue and rich characterizations that uh, not at all incidentally was nominated for 98 Emmy Awards in its seven-year run and it won 26 of them. Wow. Yeah, it was one of those juggernauts. This is a, an obviously, yeah, I've got um, also was locating a, a series that he worked on in 1990, uh, Cop Rock, and that actually is a musical police show. Oh, yeah, Cop Rock's very popular um i'm sure streaming television and handle that now but it was before its time back then you know and it just tanked basically very quickly oh, i think it's a bit of a cult favorite it might though. be a cult favorite yeah. now and they actually did have a uh a hill street blues song on that too uh, <laughs> might put a link up for that later on but um for now i'm going to go with the the classic uh mike post Hill Street Blues. I think this is probably a reworked version because you often get that with television themes. Uh, in fact, it is. It's um, done by Bobby Morgenstein from the Complete TV themes. So, Vale, Steve Bochco. This is Neil Gaiman in the Dangerous Alphabet. Zero G comes last. Z waits alone, and it's not for a thing. Uh, Mike posts Hill Street Blues. Bobby. I was going to say Bobby Hill there, Bobby Morgenstein. I've actually been re-watching some Hill Street Blues episodes in the wake of its creator's passing, and um, it really stands up well. Uh, it is what it is. It's an 80s show, and it's, um, <laughs> uh, so there's lots of big hair and shoulder pads, but uh, just watching it with its then groundbreaking multiple story arcs weaving through, and this is... Uh, through the narrative and this is not a show where they actually would go back home with the police people and the, you know whether the whether they're cops or uh, civilian workers or whatever and see their what's going on in their backstory oh and, yes so like i said it was the police equivalent of mash and it was an amazing show loved it to bits mm. uh okay now uh we've got a wrinkle in time yes it's directed by uh ava duvernay and written by Jennifer Lee and Jeff Stockwell. And it's actually based on a 1962 novel of the same name by Madeleine L'Engle. And um, I'd never heard of that before. <laughs> I'd only heard of it because um, I think they probably, it's quite, it's done in the US as part of curriculum. So if you watch a lot of American teen shows or movies, which I do, um, they'll often... I don't know, they just mention it. I didn't really know what it was. Really? But it was familiar to me. It, um, I always assumed that it was like a, a phrase that had been coined by Einstein or Hawking. Maybe it was. You know, and I'm sure it's been used as uh, a title for physics papers and mm. so on and stuff like that. Um, possibly um, some pop science books as well. Mm. But uh, Madeleine Engelkamp, um, she was a, an American writer who wrote young adult fiction, passed away in 2007. And this particular story, A Wrinkle in Time, has sequels. Uh, um, <laughs> you could almost make a, a, a poetical stanza out of this. A Wrinkle in Time, A Wind in the Door, A Swiftly Tilting Planet, Many Waters and An Acceptable Time. Oh, I didn't <laughs> realise there was it was a little it's, yeah, me neither. It's um, and you can actually put these all together with uh, two uh, sort of frameworks: the Kronos and the Kairos frameworks, which deal with uh, one family and its um, descendants. Oh. So she's actually 
built this little universe, like Ursula K. Le Guin or okay. uh, Robert Heinlein or so on. So a lot of her works are informed by her Christian faith and also an interest in science. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she believed in the Episcopalian. <laughs> Oh, I have to do difficulty with those words. Uh, faith, and she believed in universal salvation. Uh, quote, all will be redeemed in God's fullness of time, all, not just a small portion of the population who've been given the grace to know and accept Christ. So this was actually controversial, hmm. and it resulted in many Christian bookstores and schools and libraries banning her books. Oh, really? So here she is, a Christian, yeah, and I, I actually can't tell the difference between any Christians or any religion at all. You know, it's all believers in sky bullies and stuff. Um, but here she is being banned because mm. of being that particular, you know, sect or whatever it is. So I thought it was quite interesting just to unpack a bit of that. Anyway, this particular film, which is directed by Ava DuVernay, um, it's a big-budget fantasy film, a Disney one. You can tell from sort of even just the communications around it. Yeah. They're really kind of pushing for it to be a big fantasy draw. Yeah, science fantasy, as some people have called it, which I suppose is a fair comment. And this makes uh, DuVernay the first African-American woman to direct a live-action film with a budget of $100 million. So, you know, some doors are opening there. She also did uh, Selma. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was about Martin Luther King and his interaction with the um, Lyndon B. Johnson administration and the um, Selma to Montgomery March in mm-hmm. 1965. And also 13th, which was about the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which um, outlawed slavery. Mm-hmm. And she has been... So she's done those and she's done little other films and so on, which are all leading up to this one. And... In 2018, they announced that she'd direct a new Gods film for the DC Extended Universe. Oh. So there goes her credit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, I I shouldn't say that because the new Gods were created by Jack Kirby and if they do a Thor Ragnarok with it, that would be amazing. Okay. Now, as I said, I'd never even heard of the reportedly beloved book. Mm -hmm. Um, Reportedly beloved. Yeah. Yeah. And I could tell that it probably needed... But the film, when I watched it, I, I thought it needs a bit more of said text waved over it. Got it. Over the screenplay. I definitely felt like it needed more narrative weight in the caboose of the second act. Was it a bit folk too focused on visual? Is that uh, or a just... Bit, a bit, but also on the um, on the the parental love story that's... Oh, I see. ...that's important to this. And that's where it actually excels in that. And I was quite surprised by my reaction to this film. Okay. Um, I can best describe it as a, a warm hug. Oh. And I was actually moved by it. Okay. Um, I don't know. It must have been the mood I was in. That wasn't Something really what like. I was expecting you to no, say no, at all. No. Um, hmm. So I'm happy to give it a pass on being a bit thinly plotted. Okay. And I'll compliment it for having well sketched in and engaging characters, not including, uh, not sorry, not excluding the cheerfully loopy misses, which is a, a, a trio of free witches, I suppose you could call them. Um, and uh, one of those is actually a genuine space opera. Huh. Opera. <laughs> Oprah. <laughs> anyway, I'll get there eventually. And um, 
the film essentially revolves around Chris Pine, Captain Kirk's uh, mm-hmm. character. He's a um, an astrophysicist mathematician, as is his wife in this. He and is such a good agent. He's yeah, always popping up in all these. <laughs> Just gets beamed into plots. Yeah, you know. like Wonder Woman, this, that. Anyway. Once again, <laughs> he's the, uh, the catalyst for the story because he... Um, he and his wife are experimenting with arcane mathematical comp- calculations that should allow them to, if they actually hit the right solution, to unlock space and time and be able to travel to the universe just by calculation. So they can actually, there's no need for rockets yep. or warp drives the or anything. The power of maths. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've had that kind of story where. You know, I mean, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Burroughs and John Carter of Mars, he could go to Mars just by sort of wishing about it and thinking mm. about it, yearning for it. So I guess that's what this is. So, again, this is a plot that I should probably hate. I was, I was going to say, like, what is, what is it about? Well, having, having worked on those calculations... Um, you know how you, you, you get in a book, a fantasy story, uh, where that moment that it comes up where somebody starts reading aloud the... Uh, from the from the text. Or, oh, I you see. Yes. No, you must not yeah. read from the book. Yeah. Well, so they find some old journal and they start reading incantations. N- well, aloud. not not well in the mathematical sense. Before you can say Jumanji, yeah. he's off. He's gone. And uh, but rather than pursue him immediately, like Jumanji, we have a, a series of um, montages and unhappy tales of the childhood of the children he's left behind. I see. Uh, who are played by Storm Reed, who plays Meg Murray, mm-hmm. and. And um, a couple of other people in here, uh, Derek McCabe, very young actor, playing Charles Wallace Murray. And quite charmingly, they always refer to him as Charles Wallace. Um, when we were talking about A Quiet Place last week, I was noting upon the, the, uh, the fine performances of the young actors. And also another horror movie last week, I also did a zombie movie called um, The Girl With All The Gifts. Uh, and this one too, mm. excellent child actor. Where are they finding them all? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Uh, so I'm just knocked out by the performances in this film, really solid. Um, so much so that they almost cast uh, Chris Pine and Reese Witherspoon mm. um, into the shade a bit on, on this wow. one. Uh, but that's all right. It's it's their film as they journey through the universe to find their lost father. That's that's the um, the basic thrust of the story. Ah, I see. Um, but I, I just love the uh, the Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Witch, Mrs. Watson, and Mrs. Who, played by uh, uh, Oprah Reese and uh, Mindy Kaling, mm-hmm. uh, who I think was in um, the American The Office. Um, uh, she I was don't also know about that, but she yeah, was, she was. She uh, has her own show as well. She does. Oh, okay, she was a, a showrunner on The Office. Sorry, a writer, executive producer, and occasional director. Oh yes, on you're that right. Too. You're right. And she, yeah, she has the Mindy Project. That's mm. her. She's been in a few movies. Yeah, you? and they're all great in this. They're perfectly supporting. So apart from that little feeling of a, a bit of a, they needed one extra adventure right. in the middle of the thing because okay. I think it felt like it jumped too quickly to their conclusion. Mm. Um, I think that this film's a, one that will buoy you up if you go to watch it. So you really liked it. I did. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm actually, I was actually moved by it. Because I'll be I honest, from what I've seen, it doesn't interest me. No, and I thought it wouldn't interest me either. Yeah, right. So, okay. But I was in the mood. It was a nice, warm, last gasp of... Uh, of warm, warm weather. Warm weather day, you know. 
So, yeah. And they get bonus extra points for including that cruelly wicked family guy catchphrase, shut up, Meg. Because <laughs> <laughs> the main character is called um, Meg Murray. <laughs> but, oh, go there. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. So okay. I'd give it a I'd give it a, a surprise sort of yeah thing, which is unusual for me. I'm 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 getting soft. I expected you to come out all cynical, and I'm a yeah, yeah. surprised, but did. <laughs> this is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on Three Triple R. A Wrinkle in Time, a, move, a movie which I probably should have been more cynical about, but I just went, oh, when I'm watching it. It's all right to enjoy a warm hug movie every yeah, now and then. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, okay, now... Um, Not everything we do has to be about zombie murder. <laughs> no, no, although I am, um, I am uh, binge-watching season three of Z Nation. Ah, you kept <laughs> going with it. I did. I did keep going with it. I just kind of, you know, I mean, this is a show where they rolled a giant cheese down the street of one town, killing zombies as it went, a giant wheel of cheese. Well, it's nothing yeah, you've you, not... Um... How can you go past that? That's true. <laughs> There's some innovation happening there. There was. I, I don't know. They might have gotten a bit too serious about it now. Anyway, um, uh, speaking of uh, serious, um, another person has passed away of importance in the genre world. Uh, Isao Takahata, who was um, born on 1935 and passed away on April 5th, a Japanese film director, animator, screenwriter and producer, co-founder of Studio Ghibli mm. with Hayao Miyazaki, uh, director of Horus, Prince of the Sun, the naughty prince's Oroki slaying, and Grave of the Fireflies, one of the great animated films. Uh, only yesterday, Pompoko, My Neighbours, the Yamadas, and the Tale of Princess of the Princess Kaguya, which is a <coughs> a more recent film. Uh, and I did enjoy that one when I saw it uh, last too. He worked on um, a number of animated films and television series that he didn't direct: uh, Heidi Girl of the Alps, Ken mm. the Wolf Boy. Arturo the Workaholic, 3,000 Leagues in Search of Mother. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the Workaholic. The Workaholic. It's a Japanese yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's, it's as intriguing as the Wolf Boy. <laughs> yeah. Future Boy, Conan, and most other Studio Ghibli films. Mm. Um, I, I just think his work has been absolutely inspirational just to watch and take yeah. in. And it's reported that um, a lot of the social conscience, consciousness of these, of the Ghibli films comes from his influence. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, you know, things like Grave of the Fireflies is one of the first instances where it was like, no, no, the kind of animation that we do, we can tell very serious stories and we can sort of, you know, unpack some of those really quite horrific historical events mm. and through it's just another way of doing that. And I think there was always a bit of an attitude that animation and things like that can't tackle serious themes. Yeah. I mean, and that movie is thorough, thoroughly gut-wrenching. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, there's nobody who can watch that without crying by the exactly. end of it. Exactly. It's, it's about the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings in yes. case you're not familiar. Yes, so. and on the smaller scale, children who survive it. Exactly. 
briefly. Mm. Uh, um, he also worked on um, uh, air, other areas apart from directing in the Ghibli films. So he was like the uh, the music director for Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, those films are the sort of films that just take you out of yourself and you just want – sometimes you're watching them and you just don't want them to actually end. Yeah. Like spirited away. I could have watched another 10 hours of that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Porco Rosso as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Now, um, I'm afraid it's all about death today, really. Uh, the Death of Stalin is the next film I want to look at, um, which has just come out. Uh, political satire comedy film, co- directed and co-written by Armando Iannucci. Is that how he's pronounced? Iannucci, I think. Inu- Iannucci? Armando Iannucci. I think that's right. Iannucci, yeah. Who's actually Scottish. Uh, and um, he's a satirist, a writer, director and radio producer and you may have seen his film In the Loop from 2009 which has Peter Capaldi in it who apparently lived near him when they were kids Oh really? Yeah, but they didn't know each other (laughs) but they do now because they work together Uh, He's also worked on, that is to say uh, Inuchi has worked on the Alan Partridge show um Veep, yes, as well, and a period black comedy which not many people have seen, apart from me. <laughs> Somebody must have seen it, Hunderby, oh. which was on one of the streaming channels. I think it was one of the Netflix ones or Stan. I watched it as one of the first series I binge watched on the wow. streaming, um, which was kind of a, a send up of all those uh, period British shows from okay. the 19th century, 18th century, that sort of thing. So uh, and I thought it was hilarious. It was absolutely wicked. And <laughs> that's pretty much what the death of Stalin has running for it. He's too. definitely got his niche carved out pretty well, I think. Oh, yeah. He knows what he's good at. Now, this is actually a comic book movie, ah. a comic book-inspired movie by from the French uh, graphic novel La Mort de Stalin, which is obvious. <laughs> the film... Um, is that as well, uh, it, it's an entirely savage satire about the scramble to fill the power vacuum left in the wake of the demise of an absolute dictator, Joseph mm. Stalin, in 1953. So the original graphic novel was by Fabian Nuri, who wrote it. Uh, I know him from the Chronicles of uh, Legion, which is a vampire series. Uh, he's a scriptwriter as well. And Thierry Robin was the um, original illustrator who, of those um, graphic of the graphic novel this is based on. Um, it is there are wincingly note perfect characterizations that showcase the effect of decades of walking on eggshells around a tyrant's brutally lethal whimsy. It's a survivor's school where constant terror resulted in a sycophantocracy that transforms itself instantly into an every man for himself feeding frenzy when the alpha shark finally stops swimming. <laughs> it's all conveyed with razor-sharp conviction by an excellent cast whose unrestrained regional British and American accents banish the idea of cod Russian accents to Siberia. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I prefer that, to be honest. Oh, but they really pointed about this one. Uh, it's created a tone that conveys an atmosphere of unrestrained gangster thuggery. Hmm. Oh, it's so strong in that aspect. Uh, I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm sort of laughing and going, "Oh, I shouldn't be laughing at this." Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. Um, it wouldn't, you know. I mean, this is the kind of film that 
that reminds me of um, free billboards outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Missouri, yeah. yeah uh, I got it right this time. Um, but, you know, the, the satire in this, it is like Monty Python, mm, but mm. with a even further, going even further than they like used to pushes do. it pretty far. And pushing in there is Michael Palin playing um, uh, Molotov, one of the big gang of, uh, of uh, Soviet um, Politburo apparatchiks. Mm-hmm. Um, other people involved in here are Steve Buscemi, um, he always said he says that he he pronounces that he found out he pronounces his own name wrong. Bushimi is how he pronounces it, but uh, in Sicily in Sicily they pronounce it Bushimi. Oh. So he said I had to go home to find out that I was pronouncing <laughs> my name wrong. He plays Nikita Khrushchev. Okay. Uh, and they are such monsters um, <laughs> telling stories. Uh, that are so brutal, but they find them funny. Yeah, which right. Which sets the tone right off. It's like they're sort of watching cowboy movies at um, Stalin's Dachau and in the country, and mm. <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and telling awfully off jokes that are just only that even the Vikings would find a little bit brutal for comedy. Um, and uh, the the star role, apart from Stalin, who of course dies quite early in the piece, right. uh, Simon <laughs> Russell Beale plays uh, Beria, another important person in the in the ring. Um, and I can remember him, and he's such a uh, normally such an amiably faced fellow. Yeah. Um, but I, I hark back to when he played Napoleon in a Black Adder episode, so, <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, he's really—they're so, you know, at one stage when when Stalin's died, and his daughter appears upon the scene um, to come and find out what's happened, um, they're all jockeying for position, and they all go running towards her, and they're plotting while they're running. Goodness, <laughs> you know, it's like who can who can be the most um, broken up, who can cry the most tears for. For the man of steel and their and their their uh, their great father of their country, you know. Yeah, like, right. Oh, you know, uh, we've got some. Uh, old Rupert Friend, I should say, uh, plays uh, Vasily Stalin, this, uh, an absolutely scatterbrained son, who is t- huh. in no way going to be part of a dynasty. <laughs> you can imagine if he'd been a stronger person or character in this. Uh, some of the some of the um, history is actually played fast and loose here. They're, okay. they're doing a satire, so it's not all. It's a little bit, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of license grey around the edges here. there. Yeah, uh, as I said, Michael Palin plays Molotov, and he is able to turn on a dime in this film. Mm-hmm. Like they'll be talking about something. Uh, someone and he'll be running them down as is a party line. Yep. And then they'll mention something else and he will change instantly. Like, you know, the wind changes and it's like, oh, what a good fellow. (laughs) Or vice versa. Andrea Riseborough. I saw her last in uh, Birdman. I saw her last in Black Mirror. Oh, oh, yes. Good point. Well, well spotted. She plays uh, Svetlana Stalina, so Stalin's daughter. and she, again, is tossed pillar to post as she's in that very, very awkward position of being the, um, the, the daughter of the great man who is no longer in power. Mm. What do you do with the children? You know, we've, throughout history that's been a very interesting and difficult thing to solve for um, people who've followed after dictators. Uh, and um, Olga Kuryalenko, who's actually Ukrainian and uh, plays um, a concert pianist, 
which is interesting. She's um, got this weird role that's uh, kind of pivotal in the death of Stalin uh, and, you know, going to be the subject of, of blackmail. You can see the moment it happens, you know, there's going to be lots of uh, pushing and pulling there as they try and get leverage upon the new, the new regime. You know, I, I watched this film and I, and I just, going out of it, I just thought, will the last comrade leaving the room please shoot themselves? You know, it's just this oh, utterly black comedy. Um, it doesn't take much to translate uh, this into the US American mm-hmm. to fast forward it to some Trumpian apocalypse as that aspirational world's beast practice dictator metaphorically burns in the ashes of his own self-proclaimed cult of personality could easily happen and you're thinking this is a cautionary tale we perhaps need but they don't need it in russia Kyrgyzstan, kazakhstan and a number of other countries which have banned it ah already. interesting well yes. unsurprising yes unsurprising so, yeah, I have nothing but praise for this movie. Uh, it's going to make you squirm watching it. And Armando Iannucci has done a first-class job with this. And I've saved the best person for me for, uh, for last, um, Jason Isaacs. Mm, yes. <laughs> plays um, the great Soviet war hero, uh, Field Marshal Zukov. Uh, <laughs> he plays him just with, as this pragmatic, matter-of-fact, uh, ruthless I'm just going to kill them now sort of fellow and it's like, oh, my God. And, yeah, I can see how that would actually have roused uh, a certain amount of counter of counter irritation amongst the um, the punters because these people often are World War II heroes mm. and quite, you know, they're quite um, major characters yeah. or generals in some cases or brigadiers or whatever. Brigadiers. Yeah. So I think that um, this film will really engage you. Mm. Uh, and you'll be uncomfortable and disturbed at that fact. Yeah. So, yes, I get a uh, da, zero G rating of da. You've had a good film week. Yeah, or even, even, uh, moi da, <laughs> something like that. I, 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 I learnt my Russian from Pavel Chekhov in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Still relevant. Still, Still relevant. relevant, yeah. This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Ah, the April Amnesty is on now, mm-hmm. and there are lots of great prizes to win for subscribing during April Amnesty, including a bike, furniture, a holiday to Tasmania, dinners and meals around town, and more. And I actually feel like I'm reading from the uh, the uh, the roll call um items list in Hill Street Precinct. <laughs> Item two. All prize details are here at the station for us to peruse at our leisure during the show. And there's a, um, a whole list of, uh, of items there that you will enjoy if you happen to be so fortunate as to subscribe during the April Amnesty and win a prize. And um, remember, you've got to go subscribe by midnight Monday, April 30th to go in the running to do win the prizes. Uh, and there are six subscriber-only events happening throughout April Amnesty, including four live to airs in the Triple R performance space and uh, so on. So please check them out as you line up to enter the... Hallowed precincts of Triple R mm-hmm. during the April Amnesty. So now we are talking about um, uh, Angel Catbird, 
Now, we've mentioned this before, uh, done a review of a couple of them. Uh, these are uh, Dark Horse comic books, now bound into hardback format, which I quite like. Mm. You know, the, you get to treasure them kind of forever. Yeah. Uh, this is by Margaret Atwood, yes. Margaret Handmaid's Tale Atwood. Many other things too. Uh, but um, this is her homage to comic books. And so she's uh, written this. The illustrations are by Johnny Christmas, mm-hmm. colours by Tamara Bonvillain. And I always like to mention the letterers, Nate Picos of the Blambot Studio for lettering. Because uh, that's actually an, a critical part of any comic book. Yeah. Without, without which it would just be basically illustrations <laughs> and sound effects maybe. Uh, okay, so this is the story of Angel Catbird who is exactly what he says. Uh, by this third volume, uh, we already know that he is the result of a, a typical crazy origin story where a genetic uh, engineer ran out into the streets holding a vial of um, serum. Mm. He got hit by a truck. Oh, classic. He was chasing his cat, who's an indoor cat, suddenly got outdoors. Right. And a passing bird was flying by. They all got hit and they all got munched together oh, as dear. angel cat bird. <laughs> It's always some kind of traffic accident. It always is. And there is a a fairly uh, complicated story, although (laughs) it's like a Joss Whedon line. It's a fairly complicated story. There's a supervillain who doesn't like him (laughs) (laughs) and who wants control of the serum in order to mutate half the world Mm. into rat humans. For his nefarious plans. He's a rat human and he wants to, you know have a whole civilization based upon that premise. It's actually a bit um, speciesist, this. They, they, they do stereotype rats rather, unfortunately. But there are some good rats and mice as well mm-hmm. uh, who are, have escaped his evil clutches of the man called Muroid. Uh, he also has his um, rat marines mm-hmm. helping him out. <laughs> the most hilarious anti-cat creature mecha, which is basically a a giant cat toy with feathers and ribbons and laser beams. Wow. (laughs) So all after poor old angel Catbird and his uh, companions who include were-cats, so they're Mm -hmm. all half half cat, half human, uh, including Catula, who obviously was bitten by um, Dracula when he was a young cat. (laughs) <laughs> a young cat. But there are also other, there are mystical and magical figures in here. There's a an Athena cat owl and uh, an Egyptian mummy cat. Oh, so she's having a bit of fun with yeah. it. Yeah, and you, and you weren't here when I was talking about the second one, but there's a, um, they found a, a, an orphan kitten in the woods uh, who's who'd been, dumped by cat dumpers. Yeah. And even now, I can't say that without misting up. Yeah. Because I just think it's such a horrible, hideous thing to do. Uh, and that's the other part of these stories. Um, they, uh, they're they uh, also supporting a, a, a charity called uh, WW... I'll give you the URL. Cat Birds. Cats and Birds, basically. And this is for, for an organisation that... that um, promotes the idea of cats as indoor mm. animals who are not going to be unleashed upon the general wildlife population and also it's safer for them. They live longer mm. Um, mm. 
in, as indoor cats, which is, is a good point. So, okay, this is the artwork is uh, is very finely drawn and and lightly drawn too. I found not mm. too heavy, which is exactly what this sort of uh, semi-satirical subject matter needs. <laughs> I was telling you before, she's very, you know, she's it's Margaret Atwood. She's got so much social conscience. Yeah. But she's also got a wry sense of humour. And uh, amongst the um, the rats and mice, there's, there's a picture of one wearing a Guy Fawkes mask and they talk about a nonny mouse, which is a, a secret mouse hacktivist group. <laughs> so, you know, there's that sort of thing. So if you like your, your puns, your mm. cat puns, and um, and who doesn't? It's really right up your alley. It's it like really she's is. written it for you. It's right up my alley cat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and also they've got a, um, a gallery of... Uh, of um, the the cover paintings from the various individual books. Yeah, I always like when they include those because I do. F- I love having the collections. Like trade paperback is definitely how I prefer. Yeah. But you do. I'd like to see what the art was for each of the individual issues. It's yeah, and it is glorious too. And they also uh, do something else which which I like, which includes the black and white um, layouts uh, for these. So that's you can great. See, yeah, some nice extras in there. So the vo- it's run its course now. This is the third volume of Angel Catbird. The cat bird roars. I got this at um, uh, All Star Comics, uh, but it's available in all good comic stores. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so check that one out. It's from Dark Horse. So now you can read the whole series at once. I don't know That's if there's a, an omnibus version. Maybe there should be. Okay, uh, I think we'll um, uh, we're running up to uh, two o'clock, and Joe Brenatic with Astral Glamour is coming up next. Mm-hmm. I'm still tri- spitting out a bit here about uh, somebody who thought that David Bowie was just noise. I just, I just feel like you know, <laughs> you can't engage with that. <laughs> when, when um, we were talking about Death of Stalin, you said that uh, the the director it surprised you that that you hadn't known that was the director who was doing it. Yeah, because I think. Um, you know, you know what he does and what he does well, which is, you know, largely political satire. Yeah. I, I think that movie would actually fallen under the radar for me. I'd heard some people talk about it and like, oh, yeah. There's one thing for someone to say, yes, it's a movie about Stalin and, the you know, the government after that and whatnot. But it's really funny. <laughs> that can be less convincing than if you say, and it's by insert person who has done that type of genre very, very well in many formats before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think quite possibly it's just because it's fallen under my radar because now when I look at the um, the poster for it, I do recognise seeing that around. Ah. And it does also help that he's got a fairly recognisable name. And they do know to trot out In The Loop and Veep as, you know, that triggers with people as well. I mm-hmm. think um, there's a lot of Veep lovers out there. Yeah, I, I've yet to see that one. I do. I do want to catch up with it. Uh, as I said, I was um, my my binge watch at the moment is um, Z Nation. Yes. Um, I've also been catching up with early episodes of Hill Street Blues, and <laughs> so a lot of strange little shows that are just popping. Oh, I, I did watch all of um, Santa Clarita Diet season oh, two. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very funny. Very funny. And poor old Nathan Fillion is not even half the man he used to be <laughs> in that. All right, so uh, that's it for today on Zero G. We are obviously excited for um, Avengers Infinity Wars coming up. Yes. They've got that big uh, Marvel Avengers station yep. down in the paddock at um, behind um, the Acme. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much happening in the, in the world. And I, and I, I just I, – I'm, I'm in my Marvel MCU uh, – Challenge. Where are you up to on the... Uh, it got a bit muddled. 
Uh, I've just rewatched Doctor Strange. Yep. And up next should be Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh. Then Thor Ragnarok. And I'm really hoping the Black Panther will be playing so in the week the before. you the pointy end of it then. You've gone yeah. through quite... Yeah. I've also seen some um, Carol Danvers uh, promo oh, shots yes. and stuff. So, yeah, getting Marvel. excited about Captain Marvel. Oh, I, but I'm, I'm so distracted. Let's, 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 let's lower the excitement level. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be discussing it plenty in the coming weeks. Yes, so. we will. And until next week, in the words of the sergeant, both of the sergeants from Hill Street Blues, Sergeant Phil Esterhouse, let's be careful out there. <laughs> This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.